Welcome to the Obey Podcast, where we see through mainstream narrative. No propaganda, no bullshit, just the truth. And now, here's your host, Matthew Keck. and welcome to another episode of the Obey Podcast. Today I'm going to be doing volume two of Arguments Against Democracy. Um, I wanted to cover the whole debate going on around earmarks and the House of Representatives potentially making a comeback and the filibuster drama going on in the Senate. And I just decided that all of this kind of plays into a bigger theme that ties into why I don't think democracy can really work. So I'm going to cover that broad topic, and we're just going to dive into things. Okay, so just some background on, I guess, the branches of government in the United States, or, or I guess the, the, the so yeah, uh, that's the best place to start. So you have the executive, you have the legislative, and you have the judicial. Um, obviously, the courts are the judicial branch. The executive is like the president, the, the president and all the agencies that the president directs. And then you have the legislative branch, which is the um, House Representatives and the, the and, and and the Senate. Okay, so what happens when they make laws is the House and the Senate both p- pass a bill, the President signs into law or vetoes it, and then the Supreme Court or courts in general interpret the law. Um, so for a law to actually get passed, it needs to go through the House by majority vote. Currently, for legislation, it has to go through. The, the, the Senate on a 60 vote threshold. Technically, 60 people don't have to agree with the legislation. There's just something called cloture that has to be enacted in the Senate, which means that 60 people have to vote to end discussion on the bill. So hypothetically, if you don't have 60 people who want the bill to pass, then um, 60 people won't vote to end discussion. So even though you really only need 50 people, if you, unless you have 60 on board, then cloture won't end, so you won't have the opportunity to pass the vote, and that 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 is what is in act in um, in practice what the filibuster is in its current iteration. So that, that, that that's what's really up for debate. And what, what you're seeing right now, if you're just somebody who kind of glances at headlines, you might see headlines about how the House passes certain bills, um, but if you actually look into it, they're dead on arrival at the Senate because they're not going to get 60 votes in support because there are currently 50 Democrats and 50 Republicans in the Senate. Um, and if it gets to that, uh, if it gets past closure, Kamala Harris can break the tie, so it would go to the president. But that legislative filibuster is really in the way. Um, so th- there's been a lot of discussion, especially from people who are, I guess, more on the on the le- less moderate side of the American left. Um, th- those people are kind of call- calling for the filibuster to be abolished. Um so, so, so I think that's where I'll start, and I'll, I'll touch on earmarks after that, because I think that that's less contentious, and it's kind of only gotten a backseat in the discussion. Okay, so there are currently a couple um, no, holdouts that don't really want to abolish the filibuster on the Democrat side. Um, there, there, there could be a lot more, but currently it's Kirsten Cinema, who I think is from Arizona, 
if I'm remembering correctly. It could, could be Kristen Cinema. Um, I don't want to butcher people's names, but I'm not going to look it up. <laughs> and, then, and then we have Joe Manchin, who is from a Republican state, but he's a Democratic, um, you know, he, he's a Democrat rep. So he's um, notably, he, he's been kind of forceful stating that he's against uh, abolishing the filibuster. But with all that said, as a lot of these um, pieces of legislation have become increasingly controversial, there have been increased calls for it. And it's something that it looks like Joe Biden has kind of flipped on a little bit because he was initially against removing the legislative filibuster. So it's gotten a lot of newfound attention. And, and, and if you're thinking, how, how did they get the $1.9 trillion stimulus passed without um, abolishing the filibuster? It's because they used a obscure, um, it, it, well, it's not it's not that obscure because it's been used a lot in recent years, but but, but they, they use this, a process called reconciliation, which only needs 50 votes. Um, the real trick behind reconciliation, why it's not just abuse for everything, is it has to directly impact the budget. And that's why if, you think, why didn't the $15 minimum wage pass, even though it was a completely partisan bill? It's because the parliamentarian ruled that the minimum wage isn't a budgetary matter, so it couldn't be included via the provision of reconciliation. So you can only pass certain things to that process that only needs 50 votes, and a lot of things Democrats want to pass don't meet those requirements. Now, I wanted to pick up from an op-ed by Mitch McConnell in the Wall Street Journal last week, and, and if you have a short memory. It wasn't too long ago where Mitch McConnell was the majority leader. He wrote this op-ed called The Scorched Earth Senate that I just kind of wanted to go through because he kind of lays out how he sees things playing out if the Democrats decide to get rid of the filibuster. So he kind of starts with a quote from Chuck Schumer defending the filibuster, but it was in 2017. Um, so he's kind of pointing out how allegiance to the filibuster flips based on the party that is in power at the time and who it is more politically palatable for in a given moment. But he kind of goes on to say that there's, um, okay, so, so I'm going to directly quote a paragraph here. There's so much emphasis on the most extreme bills that either party might pass with a simple majority that people forget the Senate's 60-vote threshold is the only reason that any routine must-pass legislation is bipartisan when government is united. Big funding deals, appropriation bills, farm bills, highway bills, the defense authorization bill, the 60-vote threshold of Senate Rule 22 backstops all of it. And then Mitch McConnell goes on to say, the Senate Democrats who are pressuring our colleagues from Arizona and West Virginia to reverse their commitments, arguing for a radically less stable and less consensus-driven system of government. Um, so to, to take on that um, aspect of thinking, I, I think this is something that's interesting to look at from, I guess, a ANCAP point of view, but it's also interesting to think about why democracy can't really work. So you, you have these two choices. You have the world where, where you do have the filibuster, any other world where you don't. And if you have the filibuster, you need consensus to some extent, because if you're polarized 50-50, you need to, to some degree, get 10 people over on your side. So some people tend to think that um, a moderate point of view is more likely to be the correct point of view. And that's something that I drastically depart from. I think some of the worst, um, more, more unanimous bipartisan legislation is the most gross legislation that's been in United States history, um, especially in recent history. Off the top of my head, things like the Patriot Act, things like a lot of the wars we've gone to um, on short notice for generally bad reasons. A lot of those things have been bipartisan measures. A lot of ways we've expanded war powers for the president, so it doesn't have to be run. It doesn't have to go through Congress. All of that has been done on like a bipartisan basis. So. 
a, a lot of these big policies. Oh, and then that's not even to mention the omnibus bills that pass, you know, every year. All, all, all those bills that raise the debt ceiling, all the bills when Trump was president, all those things were passed on a bipartisan basis. Really, what ended up happening was instead of cutting spending in any ways, they, they, they kind of agreed to increase the spending at a regular rate as long as they also got increased military spending. So that's why we didn't see any rollback under Trump. It's because they wanted more spending on national defense. And that's what they traded the, the, the Democrats for, for not cutting anything, even though I don't really think the Republicans ever wanted to cut anything. That's really just rhetoric, and it's really just a bargaining chip. And then what, 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 they, what they got was they got to expand their, their, their military budgets. So all these bad things that are very clear to me are on a bipartisan basis. So there's no reason for me to think that bipartisanship is actually a good in and of itself, which is one of the points that Mitch McConnell argues for. Now, the other side of the coin is you don't have this bipartisan, um, you know, you don't have this, you don't have this rule in place that forces bipartisanship. So whenever a group gets a majority, as long as the president in charge um, is also on their team, they can really shoehorn anything they want. And it could be with the slimmest majority. So you have the, you have the, this 50-50 um, Senate. And if if the VP is there to break the tie and Joe Biden's there to sign into law, it's a matter if they have 50 people or 75 people. If there is no filibuster, they, they can pass pretty much whatever they want since the House is also on their side. So that means that there's a lot of uncertainty in how things can be two and four years from now, like, say, $15 minimum wage. Um, and although there are still questions up in the air, like maybe, maybe, maybe it's very possible that Joe Manchin wouldn't even be for a $15 national minimum wage. But it's not unreasonable to think that they would slam dunk pass like an $11 federal minimum wage or something of that sort. Um, but currently, that they would need 60 votes. And you're not going to get 10 Republicans to really support anything on that front. Um, okay. So, and then the other thing I want to add on this is this is kind of like the inherent dichotomy of, of, I guess, governance, especially in our, like, pseudo-democratic system. You either have two warring factions, and they can hardly get anything done, and when they do, it's really the worst of both worlds, and it's deeply inefficient, or you have very inconsistent governments that is swinging rapidly from left to right, and not, neither of those are good for really anything, because if you're a business, especially businesses that are worth, you know, millions or billions of dollars, and you're trying to make plans about, say, capital expenditures that are based on five and ten year forecasts. It's a lot harder to do things like, do, like, if you want to know how much in taxes that company is going to pay, and and you want to know how much profit you're going to actually bring in. But the corporate tax rate might be twelve percent effectively under Republican and twenty six percent under Democrat. You don't even know if you're in the green or in the red. Um, and that 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 that. And at that point, you're even taking for granted that everything else doesn't change. So it's just this other huge. Um, it's a huge question mark that that's really thrown into the mix if you have the, this polarizing um, situation. So that uh, that's that's the real risk of eliminating the filibuster to that extent. Okay, so after that point, okay, so 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 after this point, we we, we end up getting into a second layer of analysis that I think is worth thinking about. Um, but essentially, what Mitch McConnell really says is there are all these other rules in the Senate that we don't use currently because we have the filibuster. And even if they get rid of the filibuster, they're going to do everything they can to grind what the Senate does to a halt. Um, so what what does he mean by this? Well, he's saying that they can essentially afford, um, they, 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 they could force the um, chamber to do a vote for things as silly as turning on the lights before noon in the chamber if they wanted to. 
And there are all sorts of like little votes that they could do, or it's, um, and, th and th this happened recently with the 1.9 trillion bill, where one congressman forced the uh, parliamentarian to read out the entire bill. And since the, these bills are ma massive spending bills of just technical language, and, and pe pe people will joke like, hey, all, all these people aren't reading the bills and they, they should really know what's in the bills. But if you actually read a section of it, it is so self-referential in terms of legal language that reading it doesn't really do anybody good unless they had a deeply annotated version and a much smarter lawyer who knew all the codes, which is probably impossible because there are so many and our, our laws are just so... Um, they're, they're, they're so broad and they're, they're written in such a way that is uninterpretable. Um, but, it, but it doesn't really benefit anybody. But, but it's something they could force for every piece of legislation. And every piece of legislation is hundreds of pages. So if they want to, what, what McConnell's pretty much saying is, okay, well, there are all these little things from calling votes for literally everything they do in the Senate um, to saying, hey, you need to read this piece of legislation out loud for 15 hours to an empty chamber because we're going to make you do it if you eliminate the filibuster. And we, we, we are willing to um, force that onto them. So... Um, so, 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 so I bring this up to say that <laughs> this is tackle the other side of the coin, and this is a little bit in the more optimistic direction, because this is the kind of thing that will only um, heighten polarization. So if you already have a system where you, you can push through things with 50 votes instead of 60, well, then all this more extreme legislation is going to be passed with even smaller majorities. So it's not things that are overwhelmingly vo vo voted in favor of. It's not something where 60% of the congressional representatives are in agreement about it. It's something where like exactly half are, and then a lot of people in America, since we're so split um, between red and blue on almost every issue, are, are going to hate it, and it's going to be a more extreme version of it since it won't be toned down with bipartisanship. Even if it's a better version, because it's less bloated, kind of like what I was saying before, it's still going to be something that polarizes people even more, because they're going to see things forced on them by an even smaller majority. And then what, what, the, what the team that's in favor of those things is going to see is they're going to see what the minority party is going to be doing things that seem as ridiculous as forcing votes on if they're going to turn lights on or not. And it's just going to turn into a um, more vitriolic, more hate-filled dialogue. And I, I, I say all this in a somewhat positive way <laughs> because, because I think the more polarized people get, the more they understand how kind of silly the premise of a democratic governance really is, where it's like, why are these people who hate what I stand for don't have any of my needs in common with me? They, they aren't from the same back background in terms of um, cultural or economic. Well, why, why, why do these people get to force things on me? It's, it's completely ridiculous. Um, so I, I think it has potential to wake people up as it gets more... I guess, extravagant and how ridiculous it is, but it really exposes, I guess, the, the fundamental unfairness of a democratic system and a democratic order. Um, so e either way, I, I know Mitch McConnell is arguing for not abolishing the filibuster, but I, I think they, they e e what, so I, I, I think whether they abolish it or not, it's revealing a kind of core truth of the system. You either have bipartisan coalitions that are deeply inefficient, don't really give people, any people what they want, and they, they only lead to bad policy, or you have the bad one-sided policy that half of the country inherently um, has disdain for. So it's going to fail no matter what happens. And um, I, I think that's kind of like the, the, the reason why this goes from just being a discussion on how I can see the filibuster playing out to another reason why to Democrat governance doesn't really pan out and it never works in that technocratic way that somebody like Andrew Yang would want it to work. 
Um, and that, uh, that's why a lot of people like Slavoj Zizek go out there and they'll, they'll say that the best form of government that is like guided capitalism is coming from a dictator. And it's because they can guide it in their own vision as opposed to it being bogged down by things like bipartisanship and and um, and, 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 and the, the priorities differing from Republicans and Democrats. So and, and this is an endemic problem that's going to happen. Um, it, it's inevitable. Okay, so how do earmarks tie into things? Well, earmarks are more on the House side of things. Um, it's not something that we see in the Senate. And they, they were kind of famous in the 90s for le leading the bloated um, – it, it led to bloated government at that time. But it's, it's kind of a process that leads to more bipartisanship because it gives people that wouldn't normally be on board with the bill the opportunity to suggest things that they want added to the bill. And then they'll generally vote on um, they'll, they'll they'll generally vote for that piece of legislation if what they want is added to it. So an example of this would be something like a bloated budget that Republicans would normally be against, but then they stand up and they say, "I recommend that we do this uh, five million dollar spending bill on a bridge in my district," and um, kick, kick, um, and then they'll ask to amend the legislation to add that in. And then when they do, that person will vote for it because they'll create 100 jobs for two years in their district. And that looks good because then they can say, hey, that bridge, I made that bridge. I got that bridge funded. Um, so it's really just so incumbents can kind of pad their resume when they go for reelection. And it's something that gets consensus even when they don't really agree with a bill. So it really just leads to bad policy, usually inefficient and bad spending for specific districts. And it's kind of all... Um, Instead of it being ideas based on principle, it really just gets people to sell out their views so they get reelected. Um, the the, the op-ed that I saw in the Wall Street Journal about this came from a Democrat. It came from Katie Porter, and she was calling for them to not bring back your marks. They, they've kind of been lost in the, the dustbin of history in the last 10 years or so. But unfortunately, some people, when they see our government at a stalemate, they think that the way out of the, the, the stalemate in the system is by doing things like earmarks. And I, I can understand why, why somebody would think that action needs to happen, because that, that's the normal reaction. We've had shootings recently where people um, hear about it and they say we, we, that we need gun control now. Um, but the, these people are the people who look for government to resolve problems. They aren't people who look for solutions that work. They, they look for a solution. And if you're just looking for a solution, then that's why people have the misconception that bipartisanship actually is meaningful. Um, so a lot of people think, oh, we have this, um, we have this terrible polarization. We need to get people to pass bipartisan let, let, um, bills. So what we're going to do is we're going to bring back earmarks. And I would say that that's deeply mi misguided. And luckily, I think that's a minority view. But it looks like it might be coming back to some extent. And that, that's something that the House leaders have kind of signaled in the past month that they might be bringing that back. Um, so that's something to watch out for because that, that's really just the it's the same issues we currently have with the filibuster existing that. When you need bipartisanship, you have to make these concessions, and all these concessions do is lead to bad, bloated policy. And on the earmarks um, situation, it's tied specifically to certain districts, but it's not much better when it comes to you know the other side of the coin in Congress um, or, or in the Senate. So yeah, that's something to, I guess, think about and consider. And it does look like the, filibu the filibuster debate is something that that is really here to stay because as people get annoyed with Joe Biden really um, only pushing things that are seemingly moderate, and I say seemingly because there's nothing moderate about a $1.9 trillion st stimulus package, and I, I guess I should put stimulus in quote there because it's just terrible, awful, and it might not even help growth in all sorts of ways. 
um, and it's not even a direct injection in the near term. It has a lot of long-term effects. But, but, but I don't want to get bogged down on that. The, 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 the real point is that there's this conception that Joe Biden is a moderate. He only gave people $1,400 when he said he was going to give people $2,000. So he, he's making all these concessions, and we want him to be more progressive. We want him to be overtly more progressive, and the way to do that is by getting rid of the filibuster, and then they don't need any Republican support. And they can hopefully get all the Democrats on board and then be the most radical version of what certain Democrat policies are. So like universal health care and like a $15 minimum wage. And since there will always be calls for those policies, we're going to keep seeing calls for abolishing the filibuster. And I think that's going to be a big theme of the next three years. And that's something you're going to have to keep in the back of your head. Because even if it seems ridiculous at this time, it was also... In the past, you needed the 60-vote threshold to approve a Supreme Court justice. And that went away um, during Obama's term when they, I want to say in 2012 maybe. Um, but but it was at some point in Obama's term, they, 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 they got rid of that and then it ended up biting them because that's how we got Gorsuch and Amy Comey Barrett and Kavanaugh is because they didn't need 60 votes. And, the, and um, the only reason they weren't able to get Merrick Garland as a Democrat into the Supreme Court is because they didn't even have 50 votes. So it, 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 this is going to be something that is is perennially, perennially an issue and perennially, perennially a um, element of political discourse and conversation. But in the end, I think either side of the coin is just revealing of why government is never going to be efficient in the way a technocratic person or a, meritoc- a, a meritocratic person would want it to be. And it's always going to fail in one of these regards, either because it doesn't serve people and it's deeply polarizing, or because it tries to serve everybody and leads to just really bad bloated policy that wastes a ton of money in the most corrupt and efficient ways. So that's some food for thought. <laughs> um, it, I, I'm, I'm just going to wrap up. Um, if you want to check out more episodes where I've done on similar rants you can check the backlog of this podcast you can find me on twitter at the obey podcast or at matthew t keck you can find me on my other podcast beyond talking points where me and my other friend who's also named matt we talk about um all all sorts of philosophy and politics and and things of the such and he's more of a lefty than i am so we really have at it because i'm sure if he listened to this episode he would uh deeply disagree with me and that so so it's always fun when we you know we, we, we argue for about an hour about all sorts of things. Um, and you can find uh, the episodes of this on any podcatcher or on YouTube. And you can also find Beyond Talking Points on any podcatcher or on YouTube. Um, I appreciate listening. Feel free to subscribe or leave a comment or reach out to me on any of the platforms I mentioned. And uh, until next time, sign off. It's Matthew. Thank you. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a rating or review on your favorite podcatcher or share the podcast with a friend. You can find out more information about the Obey podcast at anchor.fm slash Obey podcast or on Twitter at the Obey podcast. Until next time. Next time.